ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts Heel Inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. Coming up next in The Real Rescue, we are joined by the author of the book, Brotherhood of the Fin. This guy comes to us with a couple more stories that are not in the book, which were pretty exciting for me personally. So please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 104, Mr. Jerry Hoover. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today, I've got another one of my thin brothers with me. That's right. Today, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 104, Mr. Jerry Hoover. What's up, brother? How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Great. Good to see you, Jason. Oh, man, it's good to see you. I was actually, I know you and I talked a little bit offline, but you and I, we actually haven't seen each other in almost 23 years because I was an airman in the swimmer shop in East City, and you were, I believe, the first class of the shop. That's correct, yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. (laughs) Right, right. Long time. You know what? You still made an impression because I still remember things you said, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I hope it was good stuff, though. It's all good stuff, man. It's all good stuff. I just, you know what? I remember all of you guys uh, so well, just with all the stuff that you guys trained and set me up to get to A school and get to swimmer school and just, just freaking rock it. We had a powerful class, but man, I put a lot of it on you guys to prepare and get me ready. And I, thanks, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> no problem, man. I, it was a, it was a learning experience for both of us. Trust me, man. Yes. Trust me. <laughs> oh no doubt that's funny well i'll tell you what jerry if you don't mind uh before we get into some of your rescues and stuff would you just give a little background about who you are how you joined the coast guard and what brought you to be a rescue swimmer okay um i have was born raised in florida grew up around the coast guard interacting seeing them not you know being boarded by them or whatnot but um interacting with the coast guard and i tried at college for a little bit Knew it was not for me. Definitely not for me. I was more seeking adventure and that sort of thing. Um, yes, and so yes. I wa- I wanted to do something fun, man. I wanted to, to get out there and, and just have a blast. 
And uh, so I joined the Coast Guard in 1986. And uh, the swimmer program at that time was only, it was less than a year old. And so when I heard about it, um, I immediately signed up. I knew that's that that had my name written all over it. And um, everybody was telling me it was not humanly possible that, that people don't <laughs> actually make it through that training. And uh, oh my God, that's so so true. Th to me, that was just laying down the gauntlet, man. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, bring it on. So I'm, I'm yeah. on my way. Um, I sign up. I end up in uh, rescue summer school in um, uh, 87. And they were pumping us through 18 to a class, a class every two weeks, because the Coast Guard was trying to bring the swimmer program online to comply with the congressional mandate to do so. Right. So, yeah, we were still suffering um, uh, a lot of attrition rate. And the Coast Guard didn't have its own swimmer program back then either. So uh, they were still sending us to the Navy, the Navy's rescue swimmer program, um, where they trained their swimmers to rescue downed aviators off of uh, they crash off of um, aircraft carriers. And so their training is really wasn't tailored for us, but it was all that existed at the time. And um, there was, we started with 33 people, six Coasties and the rest were Navy. We graduated um, six, five Coasties and one Navy. Oh, and, uh, dang. <laughs> it was, it was brutal, man. It was brutal. And there was, there was a time there, you know, where I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Um, because that was back when they were still having people ring the bell when they quit. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, so I, but I am, I know about it, but that was not, that was not me. That was not like, we didn't have to do that when I went through school. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was pretty intense. Um, but eventually I got to that point and I think everybody back then did, um, don't know what it's like now, but back then you got to the point where these guys are not going to make me quit no matter what. Yeah, carry me out in a body bag, but if if that's what it takes, but I'm not quitting. And I think that's kind of what they were hoping for, you know. They would kind of yeah. get you to that mentality. Once you have achieved that mentality, then they knew, you know, all right, this guy's going to make it. This guy's going to do it. And so, yeah, we, we graduated, and they sent me to New Orleans after that, man. It was uh, game on. Nice. So in New Orleans, that was mm -hmm. where you had your very first rescue. Ooh. Oh, yeah, it was very first rescue not only that it was um the summer program was brought online farmer and and scott dyer who was a first class at the time not the master chief and um but master chief farmer was uh came down with scott dyer and they uh they implemented the program and a few months later i went on my first rescue as a rescue swimmer uh and um it was the first rescue new orleans air station new orleans ever did and uh, it wasn't like wait. You know, I'm sorry. You were the very first, the very like, first rescue swimmer rescue. to ever do. Yes. Oh no way, Jerry! That's sick. Yeah. <laughs> right. First rescue and first rescue swimmer uh, operational SAR case out of New Orleans, all in one. That is correct. Ew, yep. that's that sick. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it wasn't. You know, it wasn't like off the hook, but it was mon monumental because it was the first of everything. And, yeah. and I had a master chief, a leading chief that said, you'll never jump out of helicopters, Jerry. That's ridiculous. You can just get that out of your head. That's what he was telling me when I got there, you know. Um, uh -huh. And he was, and he was 62 at the time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we went out to uh, Lake Pontchartrain. Lake Pontchartrain is a fairly good-sized lake just north of New Orleans, uh, about 20 miles plus across. Um and we'd gotten a report of an overdue boat and learned that they were overdue because they had gotten drunk and stole a boat and never came back. 
<laughs> so we go out flying around doing a search pattern. And uh, sure enough, we see this guy who's uh, tied himself between a gas can and a, a ice chest. And he's just hanging on the rope in the middle of what kind of shape he's in. He's been out in the water for 24 hours. It's kind of cool. It wasn't cold, cold, but it was cool. Um, I'm like, yeah, man, sure. Sounds good. So we go through the procedure. I free fall in. I swim over to him. And, uh, you know, I grab him. And the guy's like, I can't leave my ice chest, man. I can't leave my ice chest. I don't know what he had in it. Um, and I'm like, no problem, man. We'll, I'll come back and get it. You just let go, and I'll take care of you. <laughs> so <laughs> I commence to let go, and I start swimming. I got him in a cross chest. It's not heavy seas or stormy or anything. And um, I give my flight mechanic, uh, a young lady named Joy Freeman, the thumbs up. I'm ready, man. Send me the basket. Let's do this. Right? And she doesn't move. The helicopter doesn't move. Just stays in a hover. I'm like, what the hell? Did she not see me? So I give her the basket signal, you know, with my arms and the thumbs up. Still nothing. Next thing I know, she's waving. Behind, I'm looking at her. She's waving behind the helicopter, right? And I don't see what she's waving at because I'm at water level. My head's at the water level. She's waving frantically behind the helicopter. Next thing I know, the pilot takes the helicopter and tilts it to the right and downward and just slides backwards away from me. And I'm like, what the hell, man? Anyway, what he had done is he had taken the rotor blades to stop the speedboat that was headed straight for me and my survivor to keep him oh. from running us over, right? Just no took way. his rotor blades and scared the daylights out of the guy that was driving the boat, which was the goal. And so the guy pulled back on his throttles, and that's when I saw him, you know, settle in the water probably, I don't know, 100, 150 yards from us. And uh, so, man, that was first rescue ever. Almost got chopped to pieces by boat except for a flight mechanic that, was on her toes, kept me alive, man. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. After that, <laughs> nothing, man. Got the guy cleared, told him on the radio, get out of here. We don't need your help right now. Um, we got people in the water. Pull us up. On we go, looking for the other two missing guys after we dropped that guy at the uh lakefront, drop him off with an ambulance and the and the police. Nice. And, yeah, just that was my first rescue ever. First rescue in Air Station New Orleans. Oh my gosh, Sherry, what the heck? <laughs> that is awesome. That is so funny. Dude, like I you know, I hear it all the time, but it still never it it never ceases to amaze me the shit that we have to deal with and go through. Dude, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's flat calm too, man. You know, when you're a swimmer, you're like, you know, you want to be tested, man. You want to go heavy seas and storming in the hurricane. No, flat calm day, man beautiful day bro i love it oh my gosh man i love it well thanks for sharing that man that that's hilarious all right so now here's what i want to do you God, uh, while you're in the coast guard you earned two air medals and what i'd like to do is i'd like to read both of them uh and then go over them and then we have another one to talk about after that but um we're, we're gonna get into that in a minute so let me go into the air medals, and then uh, if you don't mind, just give us a, the real story. Like, what actually okay. happened? All right? All right. All right. Here we go. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal to AST-1 Gerald R. Hoover, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer uh, Hoover is cited for meritorious achievement and the Knight 
of 16 September 1999 while participating on aerial flight, serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard 860-6026. The mission resulted in a life-saving rescue of 14 men, women, and children during the flood relief operations during Hurricane Floyd in in eastern North Carolina. The helicopter crew was the first Coast Guard helo on scene when the Tar River rose 40 feet, stranding thousands of survivors and cutting off power to three counties. Immediately after arrival at Rocky Mount, North Carolina, the rescue crew located a group of persons in a lumber warehouse exposed to the elements and surrounded by rising floodwaters. Petty Officer Hoover was deployed by harness and conducted the rescue of seven persons by basket. While being recovered on the final hoist, he struck the warehouse roof but was not injured. On the second sortie, he was lowered to a roof of a two-story barn to evaluate the condition of six persons trapped by 10-foot floodwater. His third sortie was a deployment to the back deck of a house surrounded by floodwater with four children and six adults. Three adults needed medical attention. One of the patients was paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair. With the rescue helicopter running low on fuel, he triaged the survivors and with the time available to him, rescued all the children and three adults. Petty Officer Hoover's courage, judgment, and devotion and duly are most heartily committed in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Jerry! So here's what's so cool about this, right? Not only do I like know a little bit about this, but I was in East City as an airman when you guys were all out going to do all these rescues. So all you guys came back in the shop and all I heard was like rescue story, rescue story, rescue story. And it was like, I was jonesing to get to school. Like, come on, get me there. I want to get in the action. <laughs> right, awesome. right. That's man. That's the way everybody feels. They want to be in part of that, man. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you were there, Shannon Scaff, Jocko Johnson, Bob Florisi, Darren Reeves, all you guys were doing some mad operations doing that. So, holy cow, man, this in particular, like solid work, air metal, uh, 14 people, dude. All right, run us through, man. Three sorties. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we actually set up a, uh, with the, coordinated with the state police, set up a uh, landing zone. And um, close to the Tar River Basin that was on the interstate, they shut down, obviously, interstates for every direction around this, um, you know, the Tar River Basin. And so we set up and coordinated with them and dropped the patients off at places that was a, that were above the flood zone. Um, but the flood zone was really, really massive. I'd never seen anything like it before that. Um, the only thing that rivaled it was was New Orleans. Um, yeah. The uh, the the thing that we got when we got there we were the whole crew was a little overwhelmed with how many people we saw flashing lights at us everywhere we looked we saw flashlights hitting us and um so we were trying to determine how to get down in there and not you know put me in a treetop or through a, or worse yet through a power line which is what we were really worried about yeah. when we got down yeah. um and so we eventually just, you know, we're, as we were talking it over as a crew, uh, I'm like, sir, let's just get in there and, and see, what we can, see what we can do. And he's like, you're right, let's do it. And uh, that's when I went down to the warehouse. And the warehouse was one of those where it was raised up enough 
that um, semi trucks can back down to it, right? So oh, yeah. uh, people have been driving around. around trying to get out of the flooding, but the flooding was still coming up so fast that um, they eventually gave up and drove up one of these ramps into this this warehouse, lumber warehouse. And um, when he pulled into a hover, man, he had to keep me off. There were power lines. He had to keep me off the power lines, and he sent pallets flying everywhere. It was like, you know, dodging. And, and thank goodness the flight mechanic knew what he was doing because, you know, he yanked me up out of the way and then put me back down. And, you know, if you're on the end of the hook, you don't have any choice. You're just along for the ride, man. Um, so I get down there, and, yeah, the people are like, yeah, we, we couldn't outrun the flooding. We were trying to drive to higher ground, and this is where we got. And so uh, we're standing there and I, I was telling them what to expect. You know, uh, um, the first one uh, was a couple of kids and a mom and, and the kids were, I don't know, preteens. I had 10, 11, 12, somewhere right there. And um, I told the older brother that I'm going to put the, you and the little brother in there. It's up to the older brother to take care of them. And uh, that nice. was my first voice out of there. Uh, mom was second, obviously, so she can get up there and keep them calm in the helicopter. And um, then all, all the rest of the people that were there in, in the warehouse, and they didn't even know each other, you know, they would, uh, as far as they, they were concerned, they were just escaping. And the, we were probably only there, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes tops. And um, man, the water had risen six inches in that 15 minutes. So it was coming, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but in 15 minutes, in yeah. that large of space, that was yeah, a lot. I mean, you're talking miles and miles of basin. Wow. So it was really, really flooding fast. So, uh, yeah, that, that was it. And then, uh, you know, it was still, uh, it wasn't perfectly calm yet. It wasn't like bad, like the hurricane was still there, but it was still batting us around a little bit. And um, I think it was the, the additional flying pallets that made the pilot move around a little bit in order to try and prevent me from being hit by one of these, by debris flying, right? Yeah. And that's when I stepped into the building. And that, that, took my breath away man it was a good solid oomph, you know <laughs> and, uh, i get up there man they're all freaking out they think they killed me or something I'm like no man no we're good we're good let's go let's do it racquetball uh, baby that's all you want yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we did man so we we just jumped from there and the whole time i was doing you know the co-pilot setting up a spot where we can go and land and drop off these people and go back and get more people in other words the you know I don't know if people know how important it is for everybody in the helicopter to, to do their part. Um, but yeah, he had everything all set. So that by the time they got my happy ass back in the helicopter, man, we were, we had a place to go and people designated to pick them up and everything. So what that allowed us to do is drop them off to, you know, more advanced care to be taken care of while we go and do more rescues. So the second spot we got to, we saw a bunch of people in the second story of a barn. And they put me down on the roof and I just hung over and looked, talked to them through the uh, open hay door that they have on second levels of barns. Yeah. And they're like, we don't want to leave, man. This is home. I'm like, all right, you sure? Cause you might die. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're not going. I'm like, okay. So I relayed that to the pilots. Um, and then we, we went on our, our merry way, man. And it was um, uh, still overwhelming. Now um, as a sidebar, what we did not know in the background was happening is uh our executive, our executive officer, since you were there with me, um, Commander Rod Ansley, was back um, rallying more assets than I had ever seen rallied in a shorter period of time than I'd ever seen, right? Um, we're talking Army, Air Force, Marine helicopters, everybody that he could, man, 
and he was getting them to Air Station Elizabeth City and setting them up and explaining to them in the option and what we had and why we needed that many assets and all that kind of stuff. So he, you know, I just want to give him a shout out because he did a phenomenal, ridiculous, over the top job. Um, so anyway, we go down to the uh, the deck and the deck is is you know supposedly quite a ways from any floodwaters. They had never seen floodwaters in this neighborhood before, so they were freaking out. And, um, so, you know, I, I get down in there and I go inside and that's when I see the, the, the guy in the wheelchair. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know, so you, there's not anything you can do. You can do what you can do, you know? So we, yeah. uh, um, we end up getting the, the triage, those get the, the medic, the medical concerns out of the way first, including the one in the, the, the wheelchair and put them in a basket on the deck and up they went but by the time that had happened the water got so deep now it's thigh deep over the deck i so i grabbed a ladder and put it up on the side of the house from the deck to the roof and brought everybody else up to the roof so that we would not be underwater when we completed this rescue so um oh my gosh of, yeah the rest of them we hoisted from the roof in order to get them out man and um that that's when you know we realized I get back in a helicopter and I realize all these other assets in there, all these other helicopters are in the air. We'd been doing this for a little while, um, and they wanted a you know even no bag limits. We we were getting close, so they wanted the helicopter back at Air Station Elizabeth City so they could put a fresh crew in it and fuel it up and check it out, and make sure it was good to go. And I'm, you know me, man, I was pumped. I was ready. I was rocking, man. And uh, everybody else was too. I mean, we we did not want to go back, but that wasn't what the uh, the order came over the radio. So uh, the pilot took us back. Um, we landed, and uh, Commander Ansley, XO, he's out there on a ramp, you know, pointing here and doing stuff, you know, doing his thing, making yeah. sure that you know people were being rescued. And I'm like, Commander, you got to let me go back, man. Just put me on another helicopter. Just let me go. Just let me go, man. I'm watching. And this is like, I don't know, by that time, it's like four o'clock in the morning. Um, and he's like, nope, nope. Listen, Jerry, you go home and get eight hours of sleep and you come back and I'll put you in a helicopter. And, um, you know, I wasn't happy about it. I was ready to go. You know, but that was adrenaline talking. Oh, so, yeah. uh, but he was right, man. <laughs> I went home and I went into a blackout sleep and I was out. <laughs> oh, I love it. Come back the next day, man, and, and everything was still going strong, still just blasting, man. Amazing. And little side, funny side story, too, man, is uh, Army shows up. And they want to know everything, man. They want to know, you know, how many people and where and coordinates and and uh, where we're landing and where they're getting fuel. I mean, they want to know everything, right? And yeah. the Jarheads come walking in with their helicopter, and uh, Commander Ansley's telling them, yeah, we got all these people it's over here so-and-so and they're like yeah all right we're on our way and they walk right back out and hop in their helicopter man two totally <laughs> different reactions oh that's so, so funny thumbs up to the jarheads thumbs up <laughs> that would be the marines for those that are not uh, military <laughs> jarheads <laughs> oh that's funny i like that yep good times man good times man. Well done to you and your entire crew. That's that's freaking awesome. Like I said, I remember that. I was there. Uh, I just so happened, like, I'm in the shop hearing you guys come back and tell all the stories. And I'm like, come on. Why am I not, like, a swimmer yet? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Good stuff, man. Well, thanks, dude. Appreciate that. All right. Yeah. Ready? Let's go on to the next ready. one. Second air medal. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal. Gold star in lieu of second. Two, AST1, Gerald R. Hoover, United States Coast Guard. Pastor Hoover is cited for heroism while participating in aerial flight on Coast Guard 860 helicopters from 1 through 4 September 2005 in support of Hurricane Katrina rescue operations. On 1 September, Pastor Hoover courageously put himself in harm's way to rescue 13 survivors from their flooded homes, including eight children. Demonstrating exceptional rescue skills, Pedestra Hoover overcame numerous environmental hazards by conning the pilots around deadly power lines and trees while safely utilizing improvised deployment and visual communication techniques. On 02 September, with rising water surrounding a paralyzed trapped man in his home, Pedestra Hoover quickly improvised and made a decision to remove the home's window and the surrounding wall with a rescue axe. Racing against time, Petty Officer Hoover rapidly cleared a large egress point through the wallboard, studs, and electrical conduit and safely extracted and hoisted the distraught victim along with his nurse, who were then promptly delivered to a safe evacuation site. Responding to frantic calls for help, Petty Officer Hoover was lowered to the nearby hospital where over 200 desperate patients awaited their rescue. Working with the hospital personnel, Pedestra Hoover assisted with the successful triage, preparation, and rooftop hoist of over 170 frantic patients over a six-hour period. The next day, Pedestra Hoover assisted with the medical evacuation of five critically ill patients from Algiers Point including a serious injured woman who was non-ambulatory and her two children, an elderly woman, a man stranded on a roof of a submerged van, as well as countless others. While conducting rescue operations, Petty Officer Hoover provided a calming voice of reason, conveyed to the survivors and other rescue personnel exactly what steps were needed to be taken to ensure their safe rescue. Petty Officer Hoover's actions Aeronautical skills and valor were instrumental in the unprecedented rescue of over 200 survivors. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Ah, oh, Jerry, I can't say it enough. I was not in Hurricane Katrina, but what you guys did down there was insane. My gosh. Over 200 people, Jerry. What? Dude. <laughs> it was uh it was interesting. That that's the only word I can tell you, man. It was like um you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. It um it was like nothing anybody had ever seen before or since. I think the total number of people rescued was uh depending on who you ask, between thirty-one thousand and thirty-three thousand people, which makes it the largest search and rescue operation of mankind's ever undertaken ever. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was insane. And um, there's so much man that, that they don't put in those, those awards when they write that stuff up. Um, you know, that's why I do this podcast, right? <laughs> right. right. The, uh, it, it was, um, 
it was one of those things where we showed up and it was so much worse than, than what we thought, you know, and, uh, um, Joel Sayers, another swimmer brother of ours, he was, uh, he was one of the first ones on scene and we watched him on television trying to hack open a roof because people were trapped in their attic because they kept going up as floodwaters kept coming up and a lot of them ended up in their attics. And so, um, you know, some of the stuff that, that we were doing was, was making sure everybody had an ax, um, which was fortuitous. They, by the time that um, they, they started talking about that paraplegic that we got out of the second floor of his home, um, we had made sure everybody had axes and started actually outfitting some people with chainsaws. So um, we had an ax on the helicopter and um, we've, we developed this, uh, um, what we called a, a double deployment method. It didn't exist, man. Um, but to get two swimmers down fairly quickly to the same spot to save time, we would just hook our harnesses to each other as if we were doing a rescue of somebody, a civilian, um, and then put down simultaneously. And so what they didn't put in there was Scott Rady and I both went down to this second floor window because this lady was hanging out the window waving at us. And um, so, you know, they put us down and Scott and I clambered through the window and there's this five, they don't put this in there. This guy weighed at least 500 pounds if he was an ounce. Now I'm not lying. And she explained to us of him about being paralyzed in his special wheelchair that, that was oversized to accommodate him. And it was, you know, I'm looking at Scott and Scott's looking at me. We're back and forth. Like, what the hell are we going to do? They're on the second floor because the first floor is underwater. The water's to the top of the stairs. There's no going out the bottom or anything like that. And uh, the nurse had stayed with him despite the fact that he told her that she could leave and evacuate with everybody else that was evacuating. So Scott and I looked at each other and, and I'm like, I don't know, man, let's just figure it out. And uh, so I called up to the helicopter I said, and explained to them what we were doing and why. And I told them I needed to act. So they sent it down in the basket. And, and I look at Scott and he looks at me and we're like, yep, we're going through that wall, man. It's right there. And so oh I just started God, hacking. We hacked everything and studs and window and, you know, drywall and outside wall. It didn't matter, man. We were cutting through it with this axe. And uh, Scott and I took turns because we opened up, because you got to remember now, 500 pounds is not little. It wasn't a little opening that we cut. Um, you probably could have installed a sliding glass door to opening we put in that wall. So um, we got that <laughs> Bro, thing. That's open. awesome. Yeah. We got that thing open and and I, I called him on the radio and, and told him what we had and we needed a basket and uh and it then had to explain that the flight mechanic was not going to get this individual out of the basket by himself. That was not happening. Um so uh we he put down a basket, we we barely got the guy in it, and I would say there was lots of parts of him hanging over the side of the basket. Oh. My gosh. And that was not easy. It took everything Scott and I had, man. We were just sweat just pouring off of us. We we're both in wetsuits. And uh it was everything we could to get the guy out of there. And because the basket was now filled with with an individual that was not coming out, right? Now we still had the nurse and me and Scott to get up to the helicopter. So I explained to her what we were gonna do, and they were gonna send down the strop. And um, I was going to wrap it around her, keep her arms, you know, don't put your hands up to fend off. I'll take care of that and all that kind of stuff. And um, Scott went up with her, right, up and away she goes. And uh, she did really good. Um, but we still had the uh, the issue of getting the guy out of the basket and what to do with him 
then. So I decided, well, we're going to grab the wheelchair too, a special wheelchair bit, built for him. And so uh, when I come up, nice. I hook up the hook and I strap my, my hook to the wheelchair so at least we could get him out of the basket and into the wheelchair when we landed in the zone. Um, that would, that one took a lot out of me, man. Cause we was, we were working. That was not an easy rescue right there, <laughs> you know? Um, Bro. and it was later on, you know, uh, Scott and I kind of got on the same availability cycle, you know, cause we had 93 or 97 swimmers there, which a, a third of all rescue swimmers on active duty in, um, mobile. That was our, our base of operations. And Scott and I kind of got on the same schedule. So, the next night, um, we hit the deck and uh, this hospital, we're probably, I don't know, six stories up, maybe maybe six stories up. And to the deck area where all the, um, you know, air conditioners and all the, the stuff that you, you know, controls the, heli- the, the hospital. And um, we go through, we, we land because we see people out there on this deck space, don't land, but they put us down. Um, Scott and I, again, double left straight down to the deck we go over and, and um some guy there is, is uh i forget if he was either sheriff's department or an emt or something but he was in the hospital because he had slid his foot wide open earlier doing rescues on their own and uh he had his foot all bandaged up in one of those boots right yeah. and he explained to us how many people and what kind of condition because we're talking critical condition here man um a lot of them and um then we then he started talking about you know what to do with all the dead bodies. And so Scott and I conferred real quick and decided, you know, uh, triage dictates that we can't do anything for the dead. So we, uh, yeah, we tell them that and, and, you know, tell them that the point blank, we need to get the survivors out. And so we stacked a few of the dead out of the way where the survivors would not see them. Right. And then uh, explain the situation to the aircraft above and coordinated with our aircraft commander and said, Hey man, what we'll do is Scott and I'll stay here on the deck. If you'll just send us helicopters, we'll fill them up. No matter who you send us, Army, Navy, Marine, it doesn't matter. Coast Guard, we'll put we'll put people in it till we run out of people to put in. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, that is sick. So I did this. And um, sure enough, man, we started stacking people. And we would take the most serious injured. You know, we're doing the best triage we could. And we grabbed a couple of the nurses that were still there to give us an idea of, okay, who's the, who's the worst off who needs to go the soonest. And, um, they really rallied and did a good job. And whoever that, that guy was with the cut foot really did a good job as well. And, um, we were, we were evacuating just so many men and, and uh, they were bringing them as bring them to us in wheelchairs, but they were, they were ambulatory. We could walk in that one guy was, I was just carrying him along older guy. And he's like, dude, I just had open heart surgery. Like, 48 hours ago you got to go a little slower and you know it didn't dawn me that i'm trying to rush all these people and you know they they might be in pretty bad shape um so you know i just i laid him over my shoulders like that so i could carry him so he didn't have to walk to the basket and uh we did man we loaded up helicopter after helicopter and um our pilots were phenomenal in getting us more helicopters over we had a army helicopter stop by we had coast guard we had uh, i think one one Marine Corps helicopter. We had everybody, man. And Scott and I just worked our asses off for eight hours straight, getting people out of the hospital. Um, oh my God. It got to the point where there was still a handful left, but the worst of the worst were gone. We'd gotten them rescued and out of there. Um, and our aircraft commander finally came back, you know, and he's like, we got to go. Y'all's time is up. We'll get another crew here to finish this. And uh, 
you know, Scott and I got hoisted up in the helicopter and before we even were fully transitioned to forward flight, there was another one pulling into a hover over, over this deck. And uh, we did have to do a little improvising because the helicopter rotor wash was so intense. It was blowing metal stuff around, you know, like that. And yeah. so um, there was one point where Scott and I stopped rescuing people long enough to rip some of the loose metal free because it was just flapping in the severe rotor wash. And we, we didn't want it to cut loose and kill any of us. So we broke it free and worked it back and forth and tossed it off the building into the water, you know, so it wouldn't be flying around while we were doing this. So it was, uh, it was intense. It was, it was physical effort, man. And honestly, shout out to Scott Rady. He's a beast, man. He was, he was freaking beast. Um, love that guy. Yeah. But, um, then we went on, oh man, there was one, this is day four, right? Day four. We've been in wetsuits for three days. We're drinking five gallons of water, never taking a piss on an eight hour sortie. It was brutal because we're sweating so hard and working so hard, man. So day four, I'm like, I'm going to go down to rooftops. You care if I wear, I'm talking to the aircraft commander. You care if I wear a flight suit? And he's like, no, no, man, sounds good. So the first house that we come to where we see people waving and stuff, this is day four now. Yeah, remember, the people have been there for a while, right? Um, they see a kid and he's waving. And so they drop me down to the roof and the kid is standing in chest high water. I guess he's about 12, 13. Um, and this is his neighborhood. And he's like, there's somebody trapped inside the house um, and she can't move. She's been there in this water all this time. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you, you're in water, your body's going to eventually either absorb water or get rid of water and dehydrate one of the two, depending if it's fresh or salt and pollutants and stuff. And so I'm thinking to myself, I mean, she's got to be dead. So I, I'm like, look at myself in my flight suit and boots and I'm like crap <laughs> so <laughs> my first first time not wearing a shorty for these rescues and I got to get in water on the first rescue of an eight-hour sortie so I get in the water and I go inside and sure enough the lady's there and um you know she's she's in bad shape she's in really bad shape and I tell the pilot that and um so he hoist her up and takes her immediately while I take the, the kid. And I'm like, dude, anybody else in your neighborhood still on the ground? He's like, yeah, let me show you. Right. Oh, so wow. we started, cool. yeah, we started wading through all the water, going door to door and pulling people out and getting them ready. Um, that's when some of the, um, I don't know which, who it was, which branch it was, but some of the military uh, amphibious vehicles were driving up and down the streets at that point. And oh, so cool. we waved them down. We're like, you know, come on over here. And we got a bunch of people into there amphibious boat you know vehicle oh, so uh well yeah so done. i gotta give i gotta get i never i never caught the kid's name you know but this is his neighborhood man and he's taking care of all these people wow um, yeah that was that was pretty cool and then the uh uh the guy off the rooftop of the van had been there for you know, it's just still day four um for four days trapped on top of his van and uh, oh my God. and we th the reason I think that he hadn't been rescued, it was so hard to get to him because he was under trees and power lines both. And and um, you know, we're talking to the pilots and and the mech, and we're all trying to figure out if we could thread my happy ass through there and get him. <laughs> and I'm like, might as well, let's do it. And you know, sure enough, mech pilot outstanding, put me right down through the treetop, right through the power lines. Um, put me right on top of this guy without knocking him off the van, by the way. Um, that was the other thing I discussed was having a high enough hover, right? That the rotor wash didn't throw the guy off the top of the van. 
So yeah, that was that was pretty intense because we were I wasn't sure we were gonna be able to pull it off and get it, you know. Um, but we did. Um, so um, that was that was that was an intense one, even though it was you know fairly straightforward. And yeah. um, once once we got him, I I told him what to expect, and he was kind of in a daze that he did not acknowledge anything I said, man, nothing. <laughs> so I just wrapped the strap around him and hooked up to the you know got the hook hooked up to it, and off we went. And uh, that was pretty cool. Um, so day four, uh, we land to get gas, right? And uh, the pilot's giving me a hard time. And um, and I had changed in my wetsuit. And he's like, are you tired yet? And so, of course, I give him the look, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not tired. Yeah. He's tired. He's tired. Yeah, it's <laughs> four days, man. And I lost, I lost count how many people we did, man, how many people we pulled out. And uh, it was the the sky was polluted with helicopters, man. There was an AWACS over top keeping uh, aircraft uh, uh, control so that we didn't people didn't run into each other. The um, the rescue at Algiers Point, uh, we landed in a parking lot and it was tight around the power lines, you know. Um, but we were waved down by people in this. Uh, uh, it was a building where they land the uh, the ferry, right? And the ferry was up on the dike, so it was a higher ground. And uh, the parking lot right next to it for people to park to use the ferry. So I go in there, there's like 200 people. And I'm like, I walk in, my eyes just bulge. I'm like, holy crap, how can there still be 200 people this late into the rescue? And then they start telling me about who's injured, who needs to go and, and stuff. And I start doing some eval, but I call up the pilot and I tell him how many people we got. And so he can start coordinating more aircraft. And um, so I get the worst, six or seven of the worst. I can't remember, man, it was a bunch. And we stacked them in there in the helicopter. And um, and I, I started to go back out. And the pilot said, no, 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 man. We got another one coming right behind us. As soon as we take these, take off, they're going to land. And um, it was tight, 860, you know, um, in there between the power lines. Maybe, maybe, you know, 10, 15 feet between all the rotor tips and the power lines wow. all the way around. Wow. It was tight. So kudos to a, to a pilot, you know. Um, we pull up and out and roll over and we watch this um sea stallion now, you're familiar with the sea stallion right big Damn, yeah big huge big helicopter man and that guy comes screaming in there like he's doing a combat rescue <laughs> and just slams that thing in between them power lines into that parking lot and i'm like holy shit man holy crap he didn't run into those power lines I'm like i turn around like i'm not worthy because holy crap dude i mean he must have had inches between the road blades and then power lines i don't know but um we knew he could take 50 people so more power to him man more power to him and you know after that i left i didn't see what happened but uh yeah that was uh that was an interesting time yeah no doubt and like i've said it many times you guys did an amazing job and the reputation from everybody that was down there just you know you you kept the bar high it was awesome so, All right, so last story about Katrina that I want to share is the, uh, it was the axe, right? Yep. When you see the axe, Katrina 2005 or whatever it says on there, I forget what it says on there, and all the rescue swimmers that came through signed it, right? Now that axe is currently in um, Connecticut at New Haven at the Academy. It's on display up there. Um, but that axe was, and I'd like to say this, it was my idea and it was my artwork on the axe. So yes. Um, yes. as we were sitting there waiting, you know, to for the next available aircraft to go, um, 
you know, we were all signing the act. So I'm, I'm pleased to know that, that my, my artwork, my handiwork is up there. Um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was interesting, dude. Oh, and when we come back from a rescue, the doc had was so worried about what we were exposed to that he was, he gave us preemptive antibiotics. All the swimmers that were there were on preemptive antibiotics because wow. of what we were being exposed to. You're talking about caskets floating up out of graveyards and, you know, yeah. propane lines bursting and I mean, sewage lines and all that kind of stuff. And there were some stories. Ugh. So story. We'd get back on the ramp and they would they would have somebody stand like 30 feet away from us and strip out of our wetsuits totally naked on the ramp while they blasted us with a water hose. So whatever we were contaminated with, would they wouldn't get on, it wouldn't be anywhere around them. So oh my God, interesting. Good funny. times, man. Good times. <laughs> Bro, that's awesome. Well done. Man, again, to everybody that, that was involved in Katrina, you know, my hat's off to you guys. It was freaking amazing. So awesome. Thanks for sharing the story, Jerry. This is freaking great. Yeah, man. All right. So now I, I'm going to move. I'm going to not even move to a later time in your career. What I want to do is let me do a little shout out to you right now because you wrote a book. And the book is called Brotherhood of the Finn. And that's mm -hmm. all about rescues that you did throughout your time in the Coast Guard. Right? Um, plus a couple extras. You know, I had uh, Al Yates rescue in there where he uh, rescued a, me a medevac of somebody who got wrapped up in a... Oh, yeah. Uh, man, He's, and that, uh, was, yeah. that was brutal. He, yeah, he actually came yeah. on this podcast and talked about it. So if anybody hasn't listened to Al Yates' story, yeah, that... Yeah, that was, that was in there. And then um, the night Shannon Scaff and... Uh, Troy Lundgren and, and those guys, they did a rescue of like three different sailboats that got blasted off of a storm offshore. North Carolina, that was in there. So I um, have, yeah, that's a good um, Shannon Scaff has been on here. He's talked about that. I'm still trying to get Troy Lundgren. So if Troy, if you're listening right now, right. it's your turn. Troy Lundgren. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, we used to call him the gladiator, right? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> he, what yeah. was he, six foot uh, he was, four? He, like, yeah, he's, he cut... he's a beast, man. Yeah. Ridiculous. He was. He was an animal. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I absolutely loved working out with him too because it was uh, yeah, he was just I I looked up to him quite a bit. And like when we got to the gym, I was like, damn yeah. man, that dude because he's not only, a good guy you know, to look up yeah. to. Well, he it was great because one of the things that Troy did, and, and I'm I can't wait to the day I get to see and talk to him again, but he would go into the weight room and just throw around some mad weight. You know, he and I, I mean, at the time I'm looking at it like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You throw, you know, 225 pounds, it's about a hundred kilos and just sets of 10, just wrapping them out. And, and then right after that, we'd be going on a five mile run and, you know, I mean, he's, he's pushing me. I'm like, holy cow. And then we get in the pool, same thing. And he's like, just powering through. And I'm like, dude, I can't keep up with this dude. He's a beast yeah, nobody all the way around. No, nobody could keep up with him. And I tried. I, I mean, I could yeah. keep up, but I, there was no way I was keeping up with the weights. Not a chance. No, no, that's what I'm saying. This is, this is how he got his nickname. He was yeah. a beast, man. I, Troy yeah. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And a oh, super and me, humble, nice guy too. Yeah. Like straight yeah. up. Let me, let me throw out a Shannon Scapism. Oh, right? I love it. <laughs> so he's going to be Shannon, so happy to hear this right now. <laughs> so, you know, old nine finger himself, every time he'd start a story, Every story started with, so this one time I almost died. 
and then he'd go in for the story. So <laughs> I didn't matter what the story was. That's how he started every story. Man. It was love awesome. Him, I love hearing him tell stories. <laughs> oh, my God. Love it. Oh, I love that shop. We had so much fun. Yeah, right, it was well, a anyway, great shop. So the reason I bring this book up is because, you know, I again, something else we talk about here all the time. We don't do this job for the awards and uh, the recognition. It, it's great when they come through and you're like, wow, that was really nice. Thank you for, you know, noting the entire crew for what, uh, you know, the job that we did to go above and beyond to save those that are in, in, uh, in need. But there's a case that you had that had no recognition. And according to you and in your book, it was one of the, if not the hardest rescue that you personally had in your career. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. All right. Well, tag, you're it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it was, a, um, it was a shrimp boat called Bandit. And it was a wood vessel, probably 70 feet long. Um, they had a storm roll through. It wasn't any kind of like hurricane or anything. It was just a low pressure that was built up pretty strong um, out in the Gulf of Mexico. And they started taking on water. So they called, you know, Channel 16. The District 7 picked up in, in uh, New Orleans and they bounced it over to uh, Biloxi, I believe it was. Um, and this was uh, out of New Orleans. So this is my first air station. It's one of my first. But this is after the swimmer program been implemented. And uh, we've been doing it for a couple of years. And um, so we uh, we get the word launch, launch ready helicopter, you know, so we go and hop in the helicopter and are headed out. And um, the uh, what in, had transpired in the meantime is that the Biloxi crew had attempted to send out a 41 footer to effect a rescue. Right. Got dewatering pumps on there and a whole ball of wax. They could not get out past the barrier islands because the waves were too high. It was too rough. Um, oh, wow. Uh, you know, 41s, they're, they're not quite like the uh, the 47s that were in use back then that were self-riding and handled for heavier seas. This is not something that you would expect off the Gulf Coast. So uh, their unit turned them around and sent them back. So um, we were on our way when that happened, and they, they called us and let us know we can't get to them. And uh, the watchstander in Biloxi knew where they were. They were outside the barrier islands where the weather was even rougher. Um, and asked them if they felt safe to do so. Could they beach that boat on one of those barrier sandbar islands before it sank? And um, the captain said, yeah, I guess so. Uh, and a gambling ship that happened to be out there, because gamblers are going to gamble no matter what, right? <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're overhearing all this, and they're like, yeah, hey, man, why don't we, uh, the captain of that vessel, and I forget the name of it, called us on the radio and said, hey, we'll take our, our big ass boat and we'll, we'll hold off a little ways, but we'll turn sideways in the waves and uh, try to block the wind and waves as much as we can so you guys can get those people off that boat. And so that's what he did. Um, but it was still rocking, man. So anyway, the, uh, the captain of the shrimp boat, the bandit, sure enough, just took it full speed, nosed it right up on the ship island, which is a little sandbar type island offshore. And... Um, just nosed it up as hard as he could. And so uh, by doing that, you know, it's out of the water, it leaned um, to one side. And it was so, it was leaning like that. Um, the waves are still coming across the stern, which is not the best place to take waves. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a low end, all that stuff floating around. 
Um, and so we pull into a hover and I, we can't lower to the stern because it's still a wash. And uh, um, the waves are really, really rocking, man. I'm talking eight, 10, 12 foot breakers, breakers, not, not rollers because it's coming on that to, onto that island. And it's lifting the back end of the boat and setting it down, boom, boom, like that, you know, just beating the daylights out of this wood hull. So they put me down and I hit the deck and it's sideways and I'm, I'm reaching over to grab the handrail to keep me upright. I'm walking, I'm funny on whatever I can find and slip sliding because I'm in a wetsuit and I go inside the pilot house where all the people are just, you know, hand over hand myself, open the door and there's four people there. And I'm like, okay, we'll get you guys out of here, blah, blah, blah. I start telling them, you know, what, what to expect, how we're going to pull this off. And the captain goes, my wife, Maddie, she's got a heart condition and she is freaking out. And I'm worried this is going to kill her. And I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> crap. <laughs> you know? So I called a pilot and I tell him what we got. And uh, he's like, okay, okay, let's grab Maddie. Let's take her to the hospital, you know, to, to the shore and drop her off with an ambulance. And got to remember now, rest of the crew is doing their thing. So the co-pilots coordinate the ambulance and so forth, stuff like that. And he said, in the meantime, what we'll do is while we're doing that, we'll also launch the B-2, the backup helicopter from New Orleans, in case we don't get out here, back out here fast enough. Um, so I'm like, okay, that sounds like a plan. So we got, um, I got some of the crew and the captain to help me carry Maddie out in the basket, took the basket into the, uh, disconnected from the hook, took her into the cabin put her in it, we carried her back out because the deck was still, you know, tilted like that. Right. Um, so then we got, we got Maddie up and, and I thought he was going to leave me there. He's like, no, Jared, you're the only medical guy. So you got to come with us. I'm like, yeah, all right, pick me up. And sure enough, they sent down the hook and, uh, and I just grabbed, hooked it up to my harness and up away we went, we went and successfully easily dropped her off to an ambulance that was waiting at the, the uh, airport picked up you know, turn around, hauled ass right back out to the thing and got there before the second helicopter got there. Only now the boat's sitting lower in the water and there's less of it. Cause uh, so the whole time we're gone, the waves have been picking up and slamming this boat to the, to the sand, you know, just pounding the daylights out of it. And there's not much left on the ass end and the front end is finally starting to come apart. And I'm like, crap, we got to hurry. And he's like, you're right. Let's, let's do this. And I think the pilot's name was Tim Rourke. He just turned sideways and just moved me straight over the bow. And um, Matt dropped me down, and I hit the deck, sliding around all over the place. And it felt spongy. It felt loose. You know, I'm like, Like crap. all the decks that you're walking the on deck. right now. Yeah, that I'm working on. It Holy was not the same as the first shit, time I did. Dude. And I'm like, crap. So I go and I, I explain to him, we got to get the hell out of here, and we got to do it fast, right? So... Um, I told him I'm not going to disconnect. I'm just going to let the let the basket hit the deck. And when you see it hit the deck, I want one of you guys to come out of here and hop in that basket, and I'm going to send you up. And so we're all on the same page. I go back out and and um, I'm explaining to the pilot what I'd like to do, and he's like, "Yep, let's do it." Mech sends a basket down, and as soon as it hits the deck, crew comes out. You know, up and gone. Next one, crew, up and gone. Finally, the captain, up and gone. Right. Now you gotta remember, 65s at that point, they didn't have the better transmissions. They didn't have the better engines. They were very weight limited. Right. That was it. They're not oh. getting Jerry. Oh so, no, dude, yeah, what? Like, yeah, so Rourke is like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna leave you here. The next helicopter's minutes out, just right behind us, Jerry. I'm like, yeah, cool, man. We'll 
take it, do it. And they're gone. They took it over and they're gone. So now I'm standing on a boat that I could feel coming apart under my feet, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and dude, there is not a quiet like that on the planet. If you if your work office is underneath a hovering helicopter, that much noise, and then all of a sudden it's not there, you know, that's some, that's some serious quiet. Um, so... Yeah, next awesome. thing I know, I see the floodlights from the next helicopter. I'm like, thank goodness, because this thing is coming apart. And he pulls into hover the same spot where, where the first helicopter was, and uh, out comes the hook. Not even a basket, just out comes the hook, man. And uh, so it gets down, and I don't even, you know, you're supposed to let it discharge the electricity so you don't get popped, and, and that's a good thing to do, so don't let me tell you that it's not. But I was so freaked out that I didn't even <laughs> wait, man. I just grabbed that thing like that and hooked it up. And uh, as soon as I did, right, the flight mechanic started taking up slack and I could feel it yank up on it. And I start to come off the deck, only the deck is following me up. All right. Oh. So as I the deck's coming up, which means a, a wave had lifted what's left of the boat and was coming up with me. Right. So the flight mechanic, seeing that, starts to con the pilot away from the boat. But what that means is now Jerry's in forward flight towards the bow of the boat, right? Oh. And the boat's still following me up as I'm going up, and I'm headed towards the bow of the boat. Well, guess what's on the front of a big shrimp boat? A giant metal stanchion that they tie off to when they're at dock, you know what I mean? A big one of them T-posts on the yeah. bow. I'm headed straight for it, man. I'm like, I'm fixing to splat on this giant metal post. And, dude, I'm freaking out, man. So I'm like, I'm like the only thing I could do is I'm hoping that the flight mechanic gets me above it, and I bring my knees up to my face, man. I'm trying to get my ass out of the way of this pipe I'm headed towards. And uh, I closed my eyes, waiting on the impact, and just waited and waited, and I felt, and wind. That was it. Next thing you know, I'm in, I'm over the top of the island. I feel nothing but wind, boats behind me. They, I missed it by inches being splattered on this thing, man. And the flight mechanic is reeling me up as fast as he can. I mean, he's got it two blocked as fast as he can, just to just hauling ass up. And uh, I get up there, and there's this guy, in, and um, his name is John Gordon. We used to call him Flash. Flash Gordon, one of the best nice. flight mechanics. <laughs> and Flash is, Flash is laughing and shaking his head, man. And I, you know, we, I get in the helicopter, and I say, "What?" You know, he's like, "I thought you were dead." <laughs> <laughs> laughing about it the whole time. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, dude, skin of my teeth, man. Skin of my teeth on that one. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, it was intense. You know, you when stuff like that, you feel that against the old breastplate, man. You feel the heart pounding pretty hard. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Jerry, that is sick. Oh man, what a good story. Dude, I love it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I can't tell everybody uh like enough. Go get the book, go check it out. Uh, Brotherhood of the Finn, still Amazon. You can get it everywhere, but uh, that's just one of the stories in there. So I'm going to leave it up to you, Jerry. Um, if you want to share one more story, it's up to you. But other than that, I can we can transition out to just good advice. Up to you. All right. So um, what I would tell you is uh, how the Brotherhood of the Finn came about. Being the title is uh, I was down in um, Andros in the Bahamas doing an op bat, right? And it was a day off. And um, so me and my flight mechanic, because we were air crew, decided we want to go shoot some lobster. 
So we hooked up to the little morale boat and uh, started driving down the road. We knew we were going to be a little out of bounds, right, as far as where they allowed us to take the boat. And uh, we were headed to a boat ramp down island, a little bit farther down the island. And I was telling them I was having trouble coming up with a title for the book about rescue swimmers that I was working on at the time. And um, he was like, yeah, 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 man, you guys are like a freaking frat house. Y'all just like a bunch of frat brothers and act like it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's probably pretty funny. He says, you should call it Brotherhood of the Fan. I'm like, holy shit, that's good. <laughs> that's where the title come from. Flight Mechanic came up with that. Oh, yeah. that's great. <laughs> Jason oh, Lee man. was his name, man. Jason Lee. Love it. Yeah. Hey, thanks so for anyway. the title of the book there, Mr. Jason Lee. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Welcome to the Brotherhood. Fun. Right on. Yep. All right, so, Jerry. Uh, well, that, that's all yep. I got, man. What do you? What else you want to know? The only thing I want to know is, is uh, like I said, unless you want to share. Oh, actually, let me ask you this: Do you want to share any more rescues that you might have had? No. Nah, nah, okay. There's tons and tons yeah. of stories, man. But you got a good sampling. Yeah. No, that's perfect. I like it. All right. In that case, I'll tell you what, man. Let's let's do this. Uh, I would love to hear, like, all of your years because you did uh, over twenty years off the top of my head. Yeah. 20 years in one day, man. Oh. And I don't know how they squeeze that extra day out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, dude. I love it. All right. In your 20 years of being in the Coast Guard and the majority of being a rescue swimmer, what would you pass on to everybody? Everything that you had and you did, what's the advice you would pass on to everybody? I would say that to take the, the medical training more seriously. A lot of swimmers, and I was guilty of this, were more about the the rescue, about the physical aspect, about the the going in and and you know the adrenaline, you know what I mean. But I had there are numerous things that as you get older. Remember, I told you that line: regrets for old men. And if you don't have any, it just means you're not old yet. Um, but I remember wishing now that I am older, um, that I had been better at the medical part of our training that I had paid more attention, done better, and provided better care. So I would tell the, the guys that are up and coming, take that shit serious and, yeah. you know, learn it. You know, it's part of what we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? People are yeah. counting on us, not just to get right. them out of dire straits. Right. Keep them alive once we get them in a the helicopter. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a there's a bunch more, but that one's the one that you know things that I would say, um, you know, I'd love I'd love to see us get into fixed wing rescues and stuff like that, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's there's you take that stuff seriously so that you're you're better at your job, you're better at what you do, and you're a better rescue swimmer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that, dude. Thank you, man. I appreciate that one. So uh, you know, just because you said that, you know, like fixed wing side of things. Uh, I want everybody to know this because this is funny. When I met you and I was an airman going through the swimmer program, you and I sat down, you had, we had a conversation and our conversation was man, It would be great if we could have two swimmers and an RHI a little rigid inflatable boat uh, to drop out of the back of the C-130 to be on scene, to stabilize and rescue people and then wait for the helicopter to get us. And we we're like, you know, the Air Force PJs, those guys, pararescue guys, they already do this. Why can't we? And I'm like, dude, that would be sick. That's awesome. <laughs> and, 
That yeah. was your idea. I'm just going to throw that out there. I, you know what? Yeah. Even if it wasn't your idea, I'm giving you credit right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things where we're watching, we're watching other guys who are not on call, whose job is not assigned to do that. You know, they're, they're combat rescue and we're watching them go out and do these things. And it didn't make sense to me. It still doesn't to this day, but um, you know, they haven't done it. They haven't done it. I don't know why, you know, that's on them. That's yeah. on Maybe we just needed to re-spark the idea right now. You and me, Jerry. We just, <laughs> there you just, go. Just Get the word the seed, out. Dude. Just plant, plant the seed, man. Plant the you seed. never know what might happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brother Jerry, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to The Real Rescue and just telling these amazing stories. I, I've absolutely loved it. I love seeing you again, man. I know you're down in the Bahamas. I'm going to come down and make a trip down to come see you. So, But until then, dude, thank you again for coming on and sharing it. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime, brother. Anytime. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share... I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at therealrescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>